how you doing? She came up to him about a week ago with a wart, didn't you? And what's happened to it right now? It fell off, didn't it? She went to the old doctor, and I think he tried to burn it off, didn't he? Huh? He tried to freeze it off, and it didn't work, huh? Now, what, so what happened? I, I, where's, where's the, give her a little microphone. I think we, you know, I, I don't know. When I, when I was young, I had ugly seed warts on my hand. I don't know, Mom, you remember that? You remember that far back? And I was about her size, wasn't I? Now, what happened? It you, fell off. It fell off. And we prayed about a week ago, didn't we? And, and she's got it. She, it fell off by the roots. Amen. And you just pulled it off. Amen. My, my thing. There you go. Anyway, God's good, isn't he? Does he answer prayer? Yes. All right. All right. I had an uncle who prayed over me, and, uh, and I, I, he prayed so low, I didn't even understand what he was saying. I, I, I was about Elizabeth's age, but I uh, tried to listen to what he was saying, but I couldn't. He was kind of mumbling. It might have been a witch doctor. I don't know. No, it wasn't. Only teasing. But he looked at me, and he said, now, John, he said, you go on and play. And he said, you're going to look at your hands the next few days, and the thing's going to be gone. So about three or four days later, I'm playing, and I looked at my hands, and those seed warts had fallen off. At some point, they had dried up from the root and absolutely fell off. Lorano's little boy also. I have a tremendous wart ministry. <laughs> Karina Jones also had, had warts, and we prayed. It's weird. It's, it just, you know, I don't know. So I passed that gift on to little, uh, uh, what's, what's their, Lauronym's boy's name? Koa. Yeah. And uh, so I told him, I said, I'm going to pass this gift on to you. And uh, you can, yeah, he went to school and showed all of his friends that his warts was gone. It was, he had warts all over his hands. It was really embarrassing. And he didn't, didn't want to show his hands to anybody because he had so many warts. And then uh, they fell off and he began to witness to all of his friends in school. Uh, God does great things. God does great things. I know that sounds kind of foolish, but God does things. Okay. Check my. When I get my age, you got to wind me up, everyone. to get that handheld. I don't like my voice going in and out. I'll shut this off and do that handheld, okay? Um, let me do that. So, cause I All right. I, um, I'm going to read some scripture today. I want to encourage you today. I want to talk about the church. Now, when we say the church, how many know that I'm talking about you? The church is not these four walls that we are involved in today. Uh, the church is you. And uh, I want to read some scripture and, uh, and then just kind of do some explaining and, uh, and encourage you a little bit. Sometimes we need to be reminded. Uh, we need to be reminded of uh, what God has done for us. 
Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, this is a Gentile city. Uh, it is it is a place. It was a place of, of course, back in in Jesus' day, almost all the cities were were into some kind of idol worship. But uh, it's interesting when he came into the, this region, he asked his disciples. Now, notice the question that he's going to ask was not to a particular person, but he asked his disciples. The question he was going to ask was for everybody. And he asked them, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. But he said to them, very important, he, he, says, he says the same things to you and I. Uh, it's, notice again, he's not speaking to one person particularly. He's speaking to all of them. Peter answered for all of them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah. Now notice he said, asked a question to all of them, but Peter responded. He was kind of the spokesperson of the group. But his response was the response that all of them had. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And there's been a, a lot of controversy for the last four or five hundred years over what this particular statement meant because uh, some churches uh, think that they are built upon Peter. But actually the, the church is built upon the confession of who Jesus is. In fact, if you, are, uh, if you are a member of the church, you didn't come through the name of Peter. You came through the name of Jesus. Okay? It's a personal revelation. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail, or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I know a lot of people have a lot of trouble with that binding and loosing, and, and so do I when, I, when people that are, that are going around doing all this stuff don't understand the word of God or the will of God or the purposes of God or what their rights are as a believer. I mean, uh, they, they, some people can go way out there on a limb with this stuff. But I'm going to give you something that you need to understand uh, about binding and loosening. This is the first mention in all the Gospels, the four Gospels, this is the first mention of the term church. It's mentioned twice in Matthew. It's not mentioned any other time in the Gospels. It's mentioned again in Matthew chapter 18 where it has to do with discipline. And he talks about the church and about discipline and what is supposed to take place. But this is the first mention of the church in the Gospels. Now notice the term, I will. Now notice he said, I will. I will indicates present intentions to do something in the future. If you say today, I, I, I will go to 
Denny's tonight, and I'm going to get myself a, a good grand slam or whatever breakfast. You are pronouncing or proclaiming a future intention. And what he was saying here, I will build my church. He is saying to his disciples, here's what I intend to do. I'm going to build my church. Now, they did not have a clue what he meant by that. The church, they had no one. This is the first time the church had been mentioned. They didn't know what the church was. They didn't even know that he was going to die. And if you, in your devotions, begin to read a little bit later in the devotions, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And him and Peter has a little, has a little conversation that didn't go too well for Peter. In fact, Jesus had to rebuke him. He said, well, so they did not have any understanding about the church, what the church was. And when, when he said, I, I will build my church, they had no clue to what he was saying. But you and I all do. It's a New Testament revelation of the church. Fast forward to the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 said, Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, added to the disciples. Verse 47 said, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to what? The church daily those who were being saved. It is a fulfillment of of what he said back in Matthew chapter 16 when he said, I will build my church. And on the and Acts chapter 2 is when the, the church started and you see God the Holy Spirit begin to work in the lives of people. Transformations begin to take place and God added or the Lord added to the church. Now, the term church comes from a word which means just to be called out, uh, a calling out. The New Testament church consists of those who have been called out of the world into a relationship with God. Now, relationship is what it's all about. In fact, you are not a part of the church if you do not have a relationship with God. Because being, you, you've been called out of, the, uh, out of religion. You have been called out of formalism. Uh, you've been called out of ritual. You've been called out of darkness. You've been called out of philosophy. What have you been called out of? You've been called out of all that stuff that people proclaim today that this is the way and that's the way. Listen, you've been called out of all that and you've been, you've been called out into a relationship with the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And every member of the church has, has, a, has started a relationship with God. That's how you get into the church. Notice, the Lord added to the church. And when he's talking about here, he's talking about the church universal. There is a universal church, and this is what he's talking about today. Now, yes, I know that everybody that's in the universal church that has a relationship with God, they meet in local assemblies all across the country and around the world. But in reference to the church, he is talking about a universal, a worldwide church, not just a local group. This makes it clear that the church is not a particular group or a particular denomination. Now, I realize that when men get involved, and there is nothing wrong with denominations. There's nothing wrong with organizing a local church because every church, if it's going to exist, has to organize. There has to be, there has to be some order involved in the church. But when he's talking here, the, the universal church is not necessarily a denomination or a specific group of people. It is a called out people that has, co has committed their life to Christ and has a relationship with God. They make up the church no matter where it's at. Amen? 
So what is the church? Now, when the New Testament speaks of the church, it uses terms of living things. Number one, the church is referred to as a bride. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved what? The church and gave himself for her. He's talking about a universal church uh, as well as the local church, those that are, have a relationship with God. But he says uh, it is related to a, a, a relationship. If this is true and, and the church is true to its analogy, it will never be a cold institution. It will never be legalistic or, for, or formal. Why? Because the church is related to a, a husband and wife, a relationship, a loving, nurturing relationship, a caring relationship. When people come into a church where people are connected with God, they will feel the loving presence of God. Why? Because a home is saturated with the love of God. There's a relationship going on between God, the Father, and the, and, and the bride, the church, with you. So there is a connection there. It is a living thing. It will be warm. It will be loving. It will be nurturing. It will be caring. Why? Because Christ, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So it's, it's a warm, caring relationship. Now listen, uh, the, the reason we don't understand this is because a lot of people are in a marriage relationship, but, but they aren't. It's not, it's, sometimes it's hell on earth. And does not reflect the relationship that Jesus has with the church. So we give a, so we give the world, and we have a, and we give ourselves a, 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 a missed picture of what the church is all about. How many knows that, that Jesus and the church is no fighting and fussing and arguing and carrying on? Jesus doesn't come in drunk and beat up the bride. So there's a relationship, there's a loving relationship going on. And when the church begins to reflect the loving relationship between the husband and the bride that the, the, the New Testament shares, it's going to be something that's warm and loving and caring and nurturing. Secondly, we are referred to as branches of the vine. John chapter 15 verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The church partakes of the same life. The same life, the same spirit that flows through Jesus flows through you. If the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, then that same spirit shall quicken what? Your mortal bodies. So, so the same spirit, so we, we are all connected. We are connected to the source, the life source. We're connected to the same spirit. We are a living organism, not an organization. Even though we are organized as a local church, our life is a result of being connected to God. The church was never intended to be ordered along the lines of worldly philosophy or political principles. In fact, if you want to destroy a church, just let it become political. And that's what happens. Men organize, want to organize the church. And the church, even though we have to organize, we have to remember that beyond the organization, we are a living thing. We're drawing life from the sun. And if we get into philosophy and politics, we'll lose the touch of God. And you'll know the difference when you go to a church where it, that is connected to God and one that's not. 
The atmosphere is different. The, 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 the worship is different. The, the ministry is different. Why? Because the, the church is connected in relationship to God. He is the vine. I am the branches. And, we, and, we, and life flows through us from Him. It was never intended to be run by, quote, paid professionals. Now, I use that term as a figure of speech. Yes, we have pastors. Yes, we have elders. Yes, we have uh, evangelists. Yes, we have, uh, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists. We have all those things. But how many knows those are giftings and they are callings, not something you're voted into? Someone came to me one time and said, I, I want to be a deacon. I said, well, get to deaconing. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, you don't have to get voted into the, quote, position of a deacon to be a deacon. Get to deaconing. That just means serving. Where are you serving? If you're not serving here just because I vote you into position, it's not going to change your personality, and all it wants cause you to be a servant. We have the, the modern church that we see today has created a generation of watchers. And they watch the church being, being, you know, they go to church, they watch the worship, they go to church, they watch this, they watch that, they consume, they watch, but they're not involved. They're not connected. Why? You're the church. We've reduced it down to a bunch of watchers. I go home and watch TV. I'll go out and I'll watch a ball game. I'll go to church and I'll watch. Listen, that's not what God has called you to do. You've got a relationship with the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm connected to Him. We're a living thing. And every joint is supposed to be supplying. Yes, you may be able to watch, but then you are supposed to go out and do something. You're the church. You have the responsibility. God has laid that upon you. Thirdly, we are referred to as sheep and Jesus as our shepherd. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, ref when I look at myself, uh, that kind of offends me. You know how dumb sheep are? We are dumb. I've been in this for a long time, and I still scratch my head when Christians do certain things. And I'm thinking... It's, it's when it comes to time that you need to be a teacher, you have needed one teach you again the same principles, the first principles. I mean, it, it really is. You, you go, I think I'm going to get them all good and prayed through and just knock them in the head. <laughs> Sheep and shepherd. John 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And am known by my own. There's something about sheep, especially I'm told over in Israel that that shepherd and the sheep have such a close connection that at night they all mix in together in, in areas where they hold them and guard them. And in the morning when the shepherds take off, they begin to call to their flock and those sheep begin to separate from that one great flock. Those sheep begin to separate and they, and they find, and they're so familiar with the shepherd that they find and they follow the right one. And all those sheep just separate themselves. Why? Because they know the shepherd. My sheep, verse 27 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In the true church, there is a connection. I know them. They know me. 
There's a relationship. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Peter calls him the chief shepherd. David just reduced it down and said this, he is my shepherd. My question to you this morning, is he your shepherd? Do you know him? Does he know you? Do you know his voice? Are you following him? There is there a connection, a spiritual connection between you and the chief shepherd. If he is your shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I shall not want for peace. I shall not, when I'm going through areas of, of problems he, uh, and things are buzzing around in my head and I don't understand, I'm not thinking clear. The scripture says he anoints my head, my thought processes with oil. There's an anointing that comes on my life from the good shepherd. There is a connection between me and my shepherd. There, there, he is taking care of me. He is supplying all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Now notice the church is referred to as a family, number four. The church is referred to as a family. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says this. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of, as sons. And because you are sons, talking about the church, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I'm talking about the church. If you are a member of the church, if you have a relationship with the living God, then you belong to a family. We call people brothers and sisters around here. Why do we do that? Because we have a family connection. And sometimes a family connection with the household of God is stronger than the natural connection you have on the outside world. Why? Because you are the same spirit. You've been born of the same blood. And there's a blood connection and a spirit connection between you and the person next to you on this same road that you might be studying on. Why? Because because you are the church and you've entered a great family. We are family. Who do men say that I am? And this is our testimony. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 says this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. We are all in the process of taking on a family resemblance because we have made connections with a living Christ. And he has predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son every day of our life because of the relationship we have with God. He changes us from glory to glory, to glory into his image. And right now, because you are connected to a risen Christ, because you are a member of his family, you are beginning to look more like him every day. I heard somewhere where people start resembling their dog. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, I, I kind of see the resemblance there again. <laughs> Isn't it strange? There's a family resemblance. We start thinking the same. How many of you have been driving along and you both break out singing the same song? 
I mean, sometimes you think the same thoughts. Why? Because you're, you're a member of the same family. You, you, you're, you're into the Word. You're into the relationship with God, and God is doing some great things in your life, so you become more and more alike. It's kind of like that husband and wife becoming more and more in tune with each other. That's because God is working some things in your life. Now, notice, I want you to understand your authority. You're the church. You're the church. Remember the term I will indicates present intentions to do something in the future. He told Peter, he said, I, I will build my church. And then he goes on to say, and I will give you a reverence to all of them that were standing around. And I will give you the keys, plural, of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Let me talk to you just for a second about keys. Anybody got some keys in your pocket? I left mine in the car. Linda said, if somebody looks at the window and sees your keys laying there, they'll think that's the keys of this car. And I thought, well, they'll be surprised. In that car, there's not even an ignition. So where are they going to put that key? That, that w it wouldn't do them any good. But when people see keys, they know it goes to something. Keys unlock things and lock things. And Jesus said, not only will I will build the church, he said, I'm going to do something else. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Keys are significance of authority. It, is, it, it, it speaks of privilege. If you carry a key, uh, if someone gives you a key, it is a privilege. Now, in the Old Testament, they would, when someone found favor with their master, and the master would give them the key to the storage or the you know, storehouse or whatever, They'd wear that key around their neck as a symbol of authority because they had the key to the master's goods. It was a sign of privilege that they had attained a certain level of maturity, and now they had privilege. We give certain keys, certain people, certain keys uh, to lock up and open the buildings. That's because uh, it, we, they have a privilege uh, to do that and an authority to do that. Keys also stand for trust. If you are given keys, it means someone trusts you with them. Now, when you give your kids the key to your car, I remember the first time there was a little hesitation because you just really didn't know if you could trust them with the what? The key. I mean... That car, it, now it's one thing to give them a key to the storage shed where they get the lawnmower out. It's another thing to give them the key to the car. There's a turning point in the disciples' life in Matthew chapter 16. And there comes a point in time in family's life where the kids reach the maturity level enough that you can release to them a key the key to the car. You give them the key to the house. You begin to release to them the keys so that they'll have access. It is a symbolic of trust. What was it, what was it that would release the promise to the disciples that Christ would give them the keys? It was a revelation. It was a revelation of who Christ was. It was a turning point. It was that maturity level in their life. How many knows that Christ cannot trust some people with keys?
There has to be a revelation in our life. There has to be, we have to come to that point in our relationship with God where he trusts us to do the right thing. He trusts us to know his will. We know that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He, 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 we, we are into the word. We are into our devotionals. We, we, we are getting understanding and knowledge. In our relationship, there's a growing relationship. And now you're walking in a revelation of who Christ really is. And now as you reach that point, then he says, I will give you the keys. First comes revelation, and then comes authority. Jesus is the one who activated the provision through his cross. Then the church is charged with the implementation of what he has released through his life, his death, and his resurrection. The key of the gospel. On the day of Pentecost, Peter took the key of the gospel message, and he slipped it into the lock of salvation. And he turned that key, and he preached the gospel message to those in Jerusalem and 3,000 people because he turned the key of the gospel message. 3,000 people went free. And the door of salvation was open. A little bit later on, uh, he would go to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And he would take the same key of the gospel message. For the first time, the door of salvation was open to the Gentiles. And you could slide that key into that lock. And you begin to open it. And the door of salvation was open to us. God has given us the keys. And it comes with a revelation of who Jesus is. He has given us the message. He has given us his name. The key of his name. You ask anything in my name. Now when it says that, it's talking about according to his will. When you turn the key of his name... You can come to the Father in my name. You can walk up a bloodstained path, and you can turn the key and gain access to heaven through the simply uh, approaching in the name of Jesus. And the door to heaven and access to God begins to open because you have turned the key of just the mention of his name. And you gain an audience with the Father. That's the key that God has given you. He has given us his name. He has given us his word through which faith can be released. If you do not understand and know your rights as a child of God, you cannot stand in faith. But when you receive the knowledge, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But you get a revelation of who Jesus is, and then you get a revelation of what your uh, rights are as a child of God. You begin to turn that key. And that door of faith begins to open things that, for you that, that you were not aware of. Isn't it interesting? I heard a uh, in fact, I was tempted going there. There's a website you go on to see if anybody owes you money. Anybody, heard, anybody see that besides me? You can go to this website. Evidently, there's a website. And, and uh, anybody, anybody been on that website? Hey, was my name there? It was. 33 cents. I didn't know. All right, fork it over. You've had it long enough. 33 cents. Not getting into the Word is like not knowing that you have something coming to you. It's like 33 cents. It costs them more for the stamp. Maybe they'll bring it to Maybe when I go by. Who owes it to me? Desi, you owe me that? 33 cents? Ross, who, uh, anyway, it's not important now, but I'll go after 33 cents. 
It's interesting, if you're not into the Word and you don't know you have something, here you have the keys to heaven's storehouse and simply have not turned the lock to get your 33 cents. <laughs> and I know that's kind of humorous, but some of you t this morning might be sitting here with a need in your life that God has told you He's going to do for you, and all you simply have to do is turn the key of faith and begin to pull on heaven's resources with that key to see it fulfilled in your life. He has given us His blood. With it, we can take authority over sin, satanic powers, and sickness. Isaiah talked about him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed, are healed. He talked about him. The, the key, the key is there. And by faith, we need to pull on heaven's resources and open the door to receive what God has already promised us. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the cross, all of these things were purchased for us and the keys was given to us. He sends us as to a people who need to be set free. And then he says, you loose him and let him go. You have the ability. God has given you the power and the key to the people that you come in contact with. If they are open to the truth, you can turn the key of truth and set them free from their bondages. Take the key. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. Now listen, I know we went to see the film, uh, uh, Son of God. But I want to tell you what, Jesus never went into that tomb and kissed Lazarus on the forehead. That is not the truth. Now it makes for a great movie, and I'm, I'm just going to share with you the truth. Not a lot of people saw that. He was a priest. He was going to die. He couldn't touch a dead body. He would become unclean. But you know what he did? He stood on the outside and he cried with a loud voice because he had the key to the authority. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And out of that tomb, he came in grave clothes and all bound up. And then he spoke to the church around there and said, you loose him and you let him go. And then he does the same thing to us when we're bound by sin and disease and bondages of habits and all the other things. And we come to Christ, he looks around and he points to the church. Our responsibility is that we are to loose them and let them go. With the truth of his word and the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life, you've been given that privilege to do that to those you work with, members of your family, those who are in bondage to a thousand different one things. You can set them free. You need to understand your authority. Closing. Steffi, come on back. Let me share with you the assurance of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And then he said, I will give you, not just talking to Peter, but all of them there, and all of those who would follow. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Then notice the assurance that he gives to the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. The true church is alive and well on planet Earth. And if you're here today and you have a, a connection with God and you are in a re living relationship with a living God, I'm going to tell you, your future is assured.
despite the efforts of fallen angels and wicked men and political systems and atheists and all the other stuff in this world that's trying to defeat the church, I've got good news for you. It will never be defeated because the gates of hell shall not prevail against God's church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You're in good hands. You're on productive soil. Yeah, we may go through some issues and we may have some struggles along the way, but the church is on schedule and she's not going under. The church is going over. You're in good hands. He's still building his church. The governments will fall, but the church will stand. Our money system may fail, but the kingdom of heaven stands secure. Kingdom of heaven does not operate on the currency of earth anyway. The kingdom of heaven operates on the currency of faith and a relationship with a living God. My God's not dead. He's alive. And though everything around me may be failing and I might see nothing but bad news on the the news report, I've got report here and gives me assurance that the church is on schedule. He's still building his church. People are still getting saved. And death will not stop her. Notice what he says. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. (laughs) Fallen angels, political systems, unbelief. Satanic attack, atheist, they haven't got a chance. And in verse 18, he says this, I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell. Hades is hell. And of death. Death cannot stop the march of the church. Death will not stop the march of the church. A few days ago, and let me, let me give you this. In fact, sometimes death results in an expansion of the church. When the apostles finished their course and they died, the church did not fail. He continued to build. A few days ago, we lost someone we loved. His name was Marty. And the church, this church was filled. Tony got up there and said, how many are here today who Marty has played a joke on? Man, hands went up all over this building. How many is here this morning and Marty touched your life in one way or the other and hands everywhere? And he said, how many is here today that Marty has prayed for. Hands went up all over the building. Death can't stop the church. It didn't stop Jesus. In fact, Marty's more alive today than he's ever been in his life. I am the resurrection and the life. He that lives and believes in me shall never die. You know why? Because he has some keys. How did he get those keys? He took them from the jailer because that's the only way he could get out of Hades. 
And he took those keys from the jailer and he slipped them in the lock. And not only did he go free out of paradise, he led everybody that was there with him out. And he still has the keys. So when our time comes, should Jesus tarry and we close our eyes in death, the church is in good hands and it will not stop because he holds the keys. Amen. Every head bowed this morning all over the building. Jesus proclaimed himself to be the good shepherd. Peter proclaimed him to be the chief shepherd. And David just reduced it all down and said, he is my shepherd. My question to you today, is he your shepherd? Have you made him personal in your life? Have you moved beyond religion and beyond philosophy and beyond ritual and beyond tradition? And can you say today that you have a living relationship with a living God and today the life of God flows through your life? If you cannot say that, you're not a part of the church. You may be religious. You may be a good person. No doubt you are. But you're not a part of the church because becoming part of the church means you have a living relationship with the living God. If you're here this morning, I'm telling you today that you can change that. You can change that in a moment of time. By faith today and from your heart, you can just simply invite Christ into your heart. You can ask Christ to forgive you of your sin to come into your life. And in a moment, we're going to give you the opportunity. But before we do that, my eyes are going to come across the building. Pastor, that's me. I don't have a relationship with God today. Here's my hand right up and right down. And when we pray, I'm going to be praying with you to receive Christ this morning. Is there a hand anywhere in this building? Right up and right down. I'm going to be praying today with you. God bless you. I'm going to be praying with you today, Pastor. I'm going to make it personal today with me. Here's my hand. My eyes are coming across the building, right up and right down. I want you to get my attention. There's another hand. Thanks, Jesse. Is there others? Stand with me all across the building. We're going to repeat this prayer. If you say it by faith today, we believe that Jesus is going to come into your life, your heart. And there's something supernatural going to take place in your heart today. God's going to change you. There's going to be that. There's, there's going to be a supernatural happening. And you'll know it because you'll feel it. You're going to start thinking different. You're going to start, I mean, you're going to start seeing things different. Why? Because there's going to be a spiritual awakening in your life. So everybody repeat after me. Will you do that? Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and make me new. I receive you today as Lord and Savior of my life. Amen. God bless you guys today. You hold the keys. Work them this week, okay? God bless you guys. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock, okay?